said order. I'll not have this chaos and anarchy in my court. Now, enough of all this. Rebecca Carrier, you stand before this court today, accused of the most despicable and insidious charges of consorting and entering into a covenant with that of the devil himself, in the place of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, lying with the fallen angel Lucifer, as if he were your God-bestowed husband, and practicing the black magical arts that the devil hath taught you. Charges brought against you by the local merchant, Jonathan Billings, who on the night of August 14th states that he witnessed you in the tree line by his property, dressed most immodestly, and speaking to yourself in a tongue that was incomprehensible to the Christian ear. And that after this sighting, Mr. Billings has claimed that he fell deeply ill with sickness and pains until the sun rose on his home the following morning. Mr. Billings expressed his concern over the events to the good reverend of this Massachusetts province, Reverend George Burroughs who praised the brave man for bringing these allegations to the attention of the church and to the court. The prosecution has presented its claims against you on this morning of August 20th in the presence of the law and of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have brought no evidence to defend yourself and no witnesses to speak on your behalf. There has been no disputing these allegations on your part and you have yet to claim any innocence or guilt in the matters. Because of the egregious claims made against you and the silence you have chosen to respond with, this court finds you, Rebecca Carrier, guilty on all charges of witchcraft and consorting with the demon Satan, the penalty of which is death by hanging. There is no place for this form of black magic and devilry in this haven for God's humble servants, and to rid this world of one more of Satan's vengeful whores will come as a relief for those good and faithful members of our Lord's flock. May our Lord have mercy upon your tainted soul, Rebecca Carrier, for all that awaits you are the flames of hell and torment for all eternity. For there is no greater crime in the eyes of God than that of denying his greatness and forming a covenant with that of the angel he so dutifully cast out of the paradise of heaven. The heaven that awaits his believers and those who give their lives to him so they may receive his ever-loving embrace. An embrace that will be forever denied to those mongrels like you who have turned your back on the way of the light. May he then cover this community in his love and protection after cleansing the shroud of darkness you bring upon this town and its God-fearing citizens. I sentence you, Rebecca Carrier, on this day, August 20, in the year of our Lord, 1692, to be hanged by the neck until death, for the crimes of witchcraft and that of consorting with the devil, an execution that will be carried out immediately in the hopes to spare the good people of this town more of your insidious torment. Constables.
two men approached Rebecca from each side and took hold of her arms. They held her still while the crowd began to file out of the gathering hall as the magistrate and Reverend Burroughs made their way out from behind their pulpits. Out in front of the hall, the town awaited the proceedings. Rebecca was brought out by the constables to meet the judging eyes of her peers. It was quiet when she first came through the double doors of the large structure, but then the whispers started slithering through the crowd like snakes. There was little murmur amongst the gatherers, though, as we all began the death march to her execution site. We came to the large barren tree that was on the edge of the forest, a tree that had already been the site of multiple witch executions. The two men walked Rebecca under the largest branch on the lower part of the tree where a small set of steps were already placed. They were leading up to a tall but thin stool for her to stand upon. She climbed the stairs on her own accord and as she stood above the crowd, the noose that had been brought by the constables was hung gently over the large branch and then placed tightly around her neck. The crowd grew deathly silent as she stared out over their grimmest faces and Reverend Burroughs took his place by Rebecca's side. Rebecca Carrier, I ask of you now one last time in front of all these witnesses to admit your guilt and devilish ways and to plead with our Lord God for his blessed forgiveness, or for you to divulge the identities of all who have signed their souls away in your dark master's book, in hopes that God may show your soul even the slightest hint of his mercy. What say you now, Rebecca Carrier, in this moment of your judgment? Rebecca remained stoic as ever throughout the trial and on through the accusations and torment that she endured. Her head and body remained nearly motionless as she stared out to the crowd of townsfolk gathered in front of her. The crowd had grown completely silent at this point. You could hear the wind whistling through the bare trees. I couldn't tell if it was the chill or the guilt, but it bit at my face. I have no few words to speak to the people who gather here today, for I have witnessed what kind of ears my words fall upon. I ask not for yours, nor anyone else in this town's forgiveness. No, for it's not me, nor the devil you all should be in fear of. It's each other. As the crowd began to muster its righteous response back to her statement, I saw her eyes locked onto my own. And with a dagger-like stare that pierced the depths of my being, all sound seemed to fade away. It was just a dull, numbing silence that fell upon everything as she held me in her gaze. But that trance-like state was broken instantly when the Reverend gave a nod to the constable at her side and with a quick swipe of his foot, the stool tumbled beneath Rebecca's feet and the rope snapped tight as her body suddenly dropped from its perch. The crowd's cheers grew louder while she began to shake and convulse as the noose slowly choked the life from her body. The noise from the onlookers drowned out gags and gasps that barely managed to free themselves from her lips. A noise that slowly, slowly started to quiet, as each of them realized that the witch, Rebecca Carrier, was dead, swinging lifelessly from side to side in front of each of the members of Salem Village.
It had been two days since Rebecca was hanged. Two days of cold and fog that had been steadily building around the small village. Two days of near silence in my home since that fateful morning at the gathering hall where she was sentenced to death because of the accusations that I brought against her. Something had changed since that day. My wife Mary had barely spoken to me following the execution. Honestly, I can't even remember our last real conversation. I feel that it's in her heart and she knows that something is wrong. As she sleeps now in our bed, I sit alone by the fire, my mind unable to calm these past two days. Or maybe I'm afraid to lie next to her now, or perhaps too ashamed. Just then, out of the silence of my home, I begin to hear a soft yet haunting sound from behind the door to my bedchamber. I heard the soft but unmistakable cries, it, it couldn't be, of a baby. My heart started pounding in my chest, and the palms of my hands began to drip with sweat as I rose from my place by the fire. I slowly made my way across the floor of my home and towards the closed room in which my wife slept. My hand reached for the handle as the muffled cries grew slightly louder with my approach. My body trembling, I pushed the door open slowly as quietly as possible. The crying continued and I saw, sitting in front of the bed, was a small wooden bassinet. My heart was racing as my eyes scanned over the room and I saw my wife Mary still asleep in our bed, oblivious to the cries coming from just at her feet. My feet felt like boulders as I tried to walk across the room to the source of the screams. Closer and closer I came until I could finally see into the wooden chamber that housed the endless noise. But when my eyes looked down into that bassinet, they were met with horror, as inside was the blood-covered corpse of an unborn infant. Its skin a dark shade of blue, and the white cloth that lined its bedding was soaked in a maroon pool of blood. The infant lay motionless with its mouth closed, yet the cries continued. Louder and louder filling the room, I rose my hands to my face to scream, but no sound came. I tried again to scream, and when I did, the only sound I heard pierced through the screams was a single, sharp whisper. No! I awoke suddenly in my own bed, soaked in sweat and cold to the touch. My heart was still pounding in my chest and my eyes raced around the room for any sign of what I had just been witnessing, but nothing. I was alone. It was a dream. I sat still for a moment to gather myself and to hopefully calm my nerves. It was then when I noticed the piece of parchment that was lying on the pillow where Mary's head would normally be. Reaching for it and opening it, I saw the small note that she had left for me. Jonathan, I've gone to the Putnam's home to watch over their children while they travel to town for the night. There is bread and stew on the hearth. We'll be home tomorrow after service. The note seemed to have little inflection or love in its writing. And the simple fact that she had left before I even awoke spoke louder than her words. Nevertheless, I ate my breakfast alone and tried to play back the nightmare that I had been plagued by the night before. Gathering my things for the day, I made my way to the front of our home where our shop was kept and proceeded to unlock the door to prepare for any customers that I may have. 
I hadn't had any visitors for the majority of the morning hours, unfortunately. I just sat in silence of my store and was lost in my own mind. When my door swung open abruptly, startling me upright and breaking my thoughts, it was Judge Hawthorne, and by the look on his face, it was nearly impossible to tell his intentions. Ah, fine day to you, Goodman Billings. Judge Hawthorne, hello. Fine day to you as well, sir. Is there something you're in need of? Oh, there are plenty of things I'm sure I could list off to you that one could say I'm in need of. But no, Goodman Billings, today I'm not visiting your humble business in search of goods or necessities, but merely to offer my deepest praise and thanks to one of our Lord's good and faithful servants. Just hearing those words come from his lips sent a chill shivering through my soul. It has been a few weeks since I arrived in your village, and I was indeed curious of what examples of true devilry I would encounter while living amongst your community. But despite us all being in the face of this darkness, you have shown me a sign of God's true work here in this community. He began to slowly pace around the room with his arms behind his back, his eyes glancing at different items on my shelves and walls. My heart was sinking in my chest, whilst beating at a rate that made my fingers throb. Yes, Goodman Billings, I see that with men like you in this town, good, God-fearing and righteous men of the Lord, that we will be victorious in our pursuit to uproot this vile and wicked evil that does poison this community. And also that men like you, Goodman Billings, men like you are the ones who will need to be the most on guard with your defenses. I can see why the witch Rebecca Carrier targeted a man like yourself, a man of strong faith and convictions, a man who is humble and pious as yourself, would be a great threat to that of a witch. He finally stopped his pacing in front of a door with his back facing my direction, his head tilted slightly, looking over his left shoulder. Why wouldn't he look at me? Why wouldn't he look me in the eye? Does he suspect me? Does he know something of my deeds? Thank you for your kind words, sir. I, I do fear- We must not fear this evil, Goodman Billings. We are soldiers, fighting back the armies of hell in the name of our Lord. But the Lord God is with us, Goodman Billings. And he is with us with righteous fury. So fear not any more. the Lord is with you, and he is with this town. You have my prayers, Goodman Billings, and my thanks for your servitude to our God Almighty. Good day to you and your family. Yes, sir, a good day. And before I could even return his pleasantries, he opened the door wide and left with a long stride out into the chilly autumn air. But as soon as his body cleared my doorway, I saw her. Rebecca, I know it. She was right there as clear as Judge Hawthorne was just moments ago. She was standing perfectly still across the muddy street. She was still wearing the dress that she had been hanged in, but her feet were bare. Her head was tilted slightly as her gaze seemed fixed upon me. For just that brief second or more as the door swung shut behind him, her eyes never left my own. The latch snapped loudly as the door shut and shook me from my trance I seemed to be frozen in. I raced around across the floor of the room to the door in the blink of an eye grabbing the door and swinging it open with such force it could have swung from its hinges. It slammed against the wooden wall and as the cool air struck my face and the brightness of the midday sky nearly blinded my eyes, I realized she was gone. She was gone. But there was nowhere for her to go. Nowhere to hide. No bushes or shrubbery to dive behind. And no time in which to do so. Vanished. I could still see the judge as he was only a few paces down the way from my door as he quickly turned his head back in my direction, reacting to the door slam, no doubt. Is there a problem, Goodman Billings? No, no problem, sir. Simply thought I saw a friend, that's all. 
Must have just been the light and shadows catching my eye wrong. Good day, Judge Hawthorne. I closed the door swiftly but softly as I retreated back inside the walls of my shop. I looked down at my hands and saw that they were trembling beyond my awareness and control. My heart was still pounding in my chest as I knew exactly what was tormenting me. I stumbled backwards and leaned myself against the countertop to try to gain my balance, but failed. And as I sank onto the ground with my knees pulled up to my chest, I was shaking like a scared child who had angered a drunkard father. I don't know how long I sat there either. It had to have been hours. It didn't matter. No one else came through the door for the remainder of the daylight. It was just me, left alone on the floor, wallowing in torment and misery of my own self-infliction, being haunted by my sins and the darkness of my own soul. I pray that there is salvation from this hell that I've created, and I know that the only way that I can find hope to find any forgiveness is to confess, to confess my sins to Reverend Burroughs and to God and beg for any drop of mercy that may be bestowed upon me. Tomorrow, I will go to him early, before anyone else has even set out for the gathering hall to hear his sermon, and I will confess and throw myself at the mercy of our loving Father. I was finally able to pull myself from the floor and slowly clean and prepare things for the night, and as I sat alone in my bed after everything was done, I cried. I cried, and I prayed, until I could no more of either, and I finally drifted into sleep. It was colder than it had been in previous days. The sun hadn't yet begun to melt the frost from the ground, as it was barely appearing over the tops of the trees. The walk from my home to the gathering hall felt longer than ever before as I slowly made my way through the morning fog that had settled over the village. I could see the flicker of a candlelight in the windows as I approached the large looming structure, the same one where she was sentenced to death. I took no time with knocking, or even announcing myself as I entered. I pushed the large wooden door open and hurried myself inside the dimly lit room. There were candles lit all around, and a fire still burned in the hearth. Seated near the warmth of the flames, the Reverend sat with his Bible in hand, and what must have been his notes for the morning sermon. Those, however, fell, scattered on the floor as he quickly rose from his chair in surprise. The Bible clutched in his right hand, that instinctively covered his heart, his eyes wide in bewilderment at the intrusion he so little expected. Oh, my God in heaven! Goodman Billings! What in his name is the meaning of this? Is everything all right, son? Has something happened? Reverend Burroughs, I... I have to speak with you. I'm, I'm sorry for... No, no. No, please, my son. No apologies right now. We are all living in these dark times, and the fear of evil has us all on our toes. Come, come sit by the fire. Tell me what is troubling you, Goodman Billings. He gestured to a small wooden chair near to his own. I closed the door behind me and made my way towards the light of the fire. I grabbed the chair he pointed at as I approached and pulled it over in front of his own. We both sat down, and he leaned back into his chair and waited for me to speak. I'm being tormented, Reverend. I'm being haunted by the demons of my sins, and I know not what I must do to rid myself of them. 
What sort of demons are you being tormented by, Goodman Billings? And what sins do you speak of that you believe these demons find their origin? I see... I see the spirits of those who have been put to death. In my dreams. And whilst I'm awake as well. And who... Who are these spirits you see? These dead who you say haunt you? Those... Those who were killed because of... Because of my lies, Reverend. Because I spoke lies against them, and they were killed in turn. What do you speak of, Goodman Billings? What lies do you refer to, and who was killed because of them? As a minister of our Lord God Almighty, confess to me the sins of which you speak of, so that- Rebecca! Rebecca Carrier! The woman whom I came to you and claimed her actions of witchcraft against me, they were all lies. All of them. She was innocent. She... she was with child. With child? My child. Uh, our... our child. I see. I laid with her, Reverend. I gave unto the temptation of lust, and because of my weakness and my sin, she came to bear a child. A child that would have came to embodied my sin, and that would destroy my wife, along with our marriage and... And, and so, t t to keep my sin from coming to light, I, I lied about Rebecca and what she was. I lied, and she was killed because of it. The Reverend's face grew more serious as he listened. He then rose from his chair, his Bible still clutched in his right hand as he stood now between myself and the flames of the fire. A feel of judgment and anger filled the room as he stood looming over me in my chair. Jonathan Billings. This confession you make here now is one of heinous design. These are not mere sins of lies, Mr. Billings. These are that of adultery, of deceit, and that of innocent blood of both mother and child being spilt. These are not simple sins of the mind that one could so easily ask our Lord's forgiveness of. These are crimes that have spilt the blood of members of this town and crimes that cannot go unaccounted for, nor unpunished. You will rise from this seat this instant, Jonathan Billings, and you will walk by my side to the home of Judge Hyathorn, and you will confess to him, just as you have to me in this moment. Mr. Billings, the Lord will judge you for the sins you have committed against his innocent creations, but the law of this land will judge you for the blood that was spilt here in cause of your lies. Now rise up, you filthy sinner, and walk with me to face the consequences of your devilish deeds, Mr. Billings. Rise! No, no, Reverend, please. I'm begging you to help me now. Help me, help me free myself from this torment that plagues me. I need our Lord's protection and, and his love to shield me from what I am seeing. I, I cannot go face to face with my wife, my actions, uh, until I am freed. First from this torture, please. You must help me. I rose in a flurry from my seat and tried to grab a hold of the Reverend by his arms. No. But in the chaos, my grasps and the commotion, the, the, the Reverend jerked his arm away, trying to bat my own away in such a rush so aggressively that he began to lose his balance. Unhand me! I couldn't reach for him in the flash of time it happened, but he fell. Oh. He fell backwards as he recoiled and his head struck the stone rocks that made up the large fireplace in the hall. 
His body slumped down against the stones as blood began to run from the wound on the back of his head. I looked on in horror at the reverend now. He was laying dead in front of me. The fire dancing behind his body. The Bible that had been so tightly clenched to his chest had fallen to the stones as his life left his muscles. I saw it now laying, a foot or more from his body, as the blood began to slowly seep under its bindings. The moment was lost on me as quickly as it had happened, for as the blood pulled under the Bible and began to seep its way to my feet, the silence in the hall was pierced by whispers, whispers that were sharp and growing louder with each one. I began to panic. My heart pounded in my chest as the whispers polluted my ears, with my mind in a terrified blur of what had just taken place. I didn't know what else to do, so I, I ran. I turned and ran from the hall, bursting through the double doors and deep into the grey morning fog. I don't know which way my legs were carrying me, but I ran as fast as they could move, in any direction away from the scene that I had just left. I couldn't see much in the thickness of the fog, but I could feel the frozen grass under my feet and the crunching of leaves as I ventured off the muddy pathway. It wasn't long before my lungs could go no further, and I came to a sluggish stop. As I tried to catch my breath, I looked up to see if I could gauge where I'd ran into the fog. It was then that I saw where I had journeyed. There in front of me stood the large, barren tree that Rebecca had been hanged from. The leaves were all gone from its branches, and the limb that her very noose was hung was directly over my own head. As I gazed motionless at the tree which had been the execution site for my victim, I noticed that there were no other sounds coming from anywhere. It was as if the time had stopped around me, and the world had all silenced at once. I looked up at the grey sky, and that was when the silence was broken. Hello, Jonathan. You look unwell, my sweet. I turned my head quickly to see Rebecca. She was standing beside the base of a large tree in the same clothes that she had been wearing on her last day. Her eyes fixed on me and a silent smile on her face. No, no, you're not. You're not here. You're not. You're, you're dead. I watched you die. We all saw it. What do your eyes see now, hmm? Those eyes have seen so many things. Things that are beautiful. Things that are vile. She turned her head upwards towards the branch above her that her body once hung from, before turning her attention back to me. Rebecca, I'm... I don't know what to say. What I did to you, it, it was... An unforgivable act, my dear lover. Just like every other act that you and I did together. Isn't that right? Goodman Billings, that's what you called them when I came to you when I found I was with a child, with our child? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Rebecca. I'm a wicked man. A wicked and broken man. Please forgive me for what I have done, please. Forgive you for what, Jonathan? For which of your sins do you think that I could forgive? I am God, Jonathan, because from what you told the good people of this town, I am one with the devil, not God. What can the devil do for someone like you? For a liar? For an adulterer? For a murderer? Not once, but thrice over. For it is not just the blood of your dear reverend on your cold hands, but my own and the blood of our unborn. 
the most innocent of blood that can be spilt, was spilt by your cowardice and lies. So tell me again, Goodman Billings, what could I, a member of Lucifer's coven, forgive you for? Please, Rebecca. I beg you. I beg for anything to stop this torment, to free myself from this hell that has been brought upon me. What must I do to show the sorrow and the regret for my devilish sins, please? This hell hasn't been brought upon you, Jonathan. No, this hell was made for you by your own doing. You are the author of all this pain and death, the pages for which are written with the blood of those who met their ends by your doing. Do you not see by now, my dearest lover, that you, you my sweet, you are the devil this town has so deeply feared, the threat that's lurked in their nightmares and hidden in the shadows, the lord of lies and the bringer of death, king over his unruly and terrified kingdom. The smile that seemed to form as she spoke at first shifted quickly into a sinister, twisted one. So tell me again, what could I forgive you for, my lord? No! No, please! Please, stop! No! I'm sorry. I am so... I am so sorry. I never wanted any of this. I was a godly man. I was. I... I failed. I shut my eyes as the tears flowed down my face. My head fell forward in shame and in guilt. I could hear the frost on the grass splinter and shatter as she stepped closer to me. I felt something coarse and rough slide over my head and down under my chin. Oh, now. There's no need for tears, my dear. I felt her hand gently caress my cheek, but it was so cold. Like ice. I raised my head slightly and opened my watery eyes to meet hers. This time, however, her eyes were no longer the crystal blue that they had been moments before. They were now black, as black as the dark abyss of the night sky, open wide like the portals into the depths of nothingness. Her smile had returned, but there was still no joy behind it. My eyes were fixated on hers, and I felt the tightness around my neck. No need to be afraid, my sweet Jonathan. We will have all of eternity together for your forgiveness. Rebecca? New episodes of Sandu Stories drop every other Tuesday. 
Or you can hear new episodes right now at patreon.com slash Podcast. Link in description. Stay strange, and we'll see you next time.